Welcome to Copcast. I'm Rumbi Chakamba, Associate Editor at DevEx, and I've headed to Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt for this year's United Nations Climate Conference. In this podcast series, we bring you inside the walls of the Blue Zone for a series of in-depth conversations with climate and development leaders, asking them the big questions. What's really needed to make meaningful progress towards climate goals and what role should the development community play to support that? These timelines are real for me. They're not real for the people in these rooms who are negotiating what the world is going to look like. So I think that's why it's so important for us. Climate justice aims to put people at the center of climate change. In the last few years, young people have mobilized around climate justice, spurred on by youth activists. At COP27, youth activists came together to launch the first Children and Youth Pavilion, which aims to provide a place for young people to engage, debate, and collaborate to make their voices heard. So seguiremos exigiendo nuestra inclusión y la integración de nuestra perspectiva y de nuestra voz en las negociaciones y en la COP. We demand to be included. We have to be at COP. Gracias. The energy at the pavilion is contagious, much like the energy of my next guest, Shia Bastida. Shia understands what is at stake and is mobilizing other young people to ensure that their voices lead to climate justice. Shia, thank you so much for joining me. So you are a climate justice activist. What should climate justice look like? So climate justice is a very encompassing term and I really like it over more neutral terms like climate action because climate justice brings the perspective of the injustices of the climate crisis into perspective. So the climate movement has been about environmentalism for the past 50 years. It's been about, you know, caging nature in, creating national parks, creating all of this like cleaner act, clean water act, but that doesn't protect people if it doesn't have a justice lens. We don't talk about how people are disproportionately impacted by polluting industries like fossil, the fossil fuel industry or climate, climate disasters. So climate justice is um, doing things in a way that ensures the health of communities, the health of uh, youth and also the health of future generations. I'm so glad that you spoke about people. Um, this year is the first year that we have a youth and um, children's pavilion. What does that mean for you and why is it so important that we should have that space? Well, the Children and Youth Pavilion is a huge milestone in the representation of youth because this is my third COP, for example. In the COP 25 and 26, youth were sitting in the common areas trying to find a place to belong, but we didn't really have that. So this time, um, the pavilion symbolizes that we are cementing and institutionalizing our way into these high-level conferences. Um, but what I do want you know, politicians to know is that we're not just that symbol. We're also vocal. We have opinions. We can be weighing in in negotiations because you are creating and negotiating the future that I'm going to be living and that we as youth are going to be living in. So we have, you know, that moral high ground to be able to say, uh, take us into consideration, listen to us. And the pavilion actually has is like half hanging out, like sitting down. And the other half is um, like a panel style uh, sector where we have high level people come in and talk to us. And we also host our own events. 
I've been through the pavilion and it's a really nice spot. I, I like what you guys have done with that. But one thing that um, you have mentioned and you say this on social media is that you don't want the youth to be considered, you want the youth to be considered as stakeholders and not tokens. So are you seeing that happen as you're having these discussions with like high level leaders and stuff? Yeah, sometimes they'll say we want three youth, you know, like it's like saying we want three people. Each person comes from a different background. Each person comes with different stories. Each person comes with different demands. So it's also important to think about which youth are present uh, at, co at places like these. And usually it had been mainly European youth because it's easier for them to travel, for example, to Glasgow or Madrid uh, for the last two COPs. Uh, but this is the African, African COP. There are supposed to be representation from uh, mainly Africa, but also we did a lot of work to ensure that youth from the global south are in more numbers than European youth. Um, because we know that it's important for those stories to be highlighted and those experiences to be highlighted. It's very different to um, think about the experiences that the Global South is having in the realization that the climate crisis is an issue versus the experiences of having lived the climate crisis for a lot of youth in the Global South. Um, so yeah, uh, we don't want to be treated as those tokens that can be exchanged and interchanged. Each youth has a story, and when you treat us as stakeholders, uh, you ensure that the perspective that we bring has a weight. And that is really what we're fighting for, that representation that goes you know, beyond um, the symbolism of us being the future, because we are the present as well. I really like that. We are the present as well. And in terms of this particular COP, what are you hoping is going to come out of the discussions? Well, youth have focused on three main um, kind of negotiation tracks. So each COP, it's most of them focus on, you know, like deciding different things for the final resolution that comes out. And we are focused on adaptation, loss and damage and finance. And the main thing that we want to see out of COP27 is the loss and damage financing facility, which will uh, be a facility that that allocates and distributes um, the money that's coming in from the global north into the global south to make sure that that money is used wisely and implemented in a way that can help communities on the ground. Because if money comes to a country, there's no guarantee that the country is going to make sure that it comes down to the ground. So we want to see that implementation aspect of, of COP. And this COP is being called the Implementation COP. Uh, we want to see people take the climate crisis more seriously. Um, we don't want to see fossil fuel interests in here. There were almost 500 delegates representing the fossil fuel industry or polluting industries at COP26. COPs should not be a place where, you know, the place where we're saving the world, where there are um, adverse interests. And that's what we want to see. We don't want to see COPs being branded by every single company possible. We want them to be about people, about countries, and about policy. I just want to ask, so when you talk about fossil fuel interests and the interests of like big industries, has there been an improvement on that front with COP27? Um, I think yes, um, because for many different fronts, but one of the main ones is that um, I think companies are scrambling to really show that they're socially responsible. 
the issue is a, a lot of the times those parameters are by their own meters. So we need to have um, streamlined parameters that encompass all businesses. How can all businesses, uh, how can we make sure that all businesses are actually reducing their emissions? not changing with carbon markets, shifting the carbon around and the carbon emissions around, doing some, you know, gymnastic mathematics to say that you offset your emissions and you bought some credits here. We don't want you to do all of, go through all of those loopholes. We want emissions to actually reduce. So, you know, at COP26, we actually saw the uh, all of the big corporations. The big corporations is this specific seal that make sure that a company is um, you know, climate-minded and has good ethics. So the big corporation announced you know, that they will all reduce their emissions by 2030 in, in line with the Paris Agreement. That's what we need to see from every single corporation, that they are taking uh, the Paris Agreement seriously, that they're taking COPs seriously, and that we can do not only from this space that we have in this international space, what we can also do um, as consumers, because we all, you know, buy clothes and we buy food and all of that has, you know, a specific um, line that it goes through in terms of, of selling and trading. And we can ask questions about how all that happens and where it comes from. Climate change has been named the biggest threat facing humanity by the World Health Organization. Yet too often, climate change and global health are treated as separate, unrelated issues. In a new series from DevEx, we explore the impacts of the climate crisis on human health around the world and how a planetary health perspective can help provide solutions. Search for DevEx Planet Health to find out more. Speaking of taking um, the Paris Agreement seriously, like when we observe these things, it seems like the youth are actually more serious than a lot of older people when it comes to like climate action. It's like they're ready to mobilize, they're ready to make a difference, they're ready to just jump in there. Why do you think that is? Why is it so easy for the youth to take this issue so seriously and why does it resonate so much with young people? Well, the first reason why it resonates so much with us is because we are fighting for our future in a way that no generation has ever had to before. Um, I know that I'm going to love somebody who is alive in 2100. My grandkids are going to be alive in 2100. And here we're talking about 2050 timelines, 2030 timelines. Are those going to ensure that my kids have kids who are well and healthy in 2100? These timelines are real for me. They're not real for the people in these rooms uh, who are negotiating what the world is going to look like. So I think that's why it's so important for us, because we are thinking in our brains, imagining that future. And when you see where the, the tracks that we're in, it's very scary. You know, it's like, um, you know, wildfires and floods and uh, food systems collapsing and corals disappearing and being more plastic than fish in the ocean. I don't want to be, I don't want those descriptions to be the world where my kids are raised. Uh, so I'm doing everything in my power and youth are doing everything in our power to 
ensure that we're not, you know, we are actually correcting the course of humanity. And that is a very big task. And we are, you know, it takes a lot of effort. And we are tired also because we're students, a lot of us, and we're organizing in our own hometowns. But I think, I hope that all of these efforts that we're putting wakes, wake people up, people in influence, um, people who are in positions of influence, because it's not a game for us. It's not just politics. It's not just debating. We have to be pragmatic. And you cannot just be okay with taking my future away and not um, taking the science that is so clear seriously. That was such a powerful statement. Hey, I'm going to know someone in 2100. I'm going to love someone in 2100. And I think that really like brings it home for people because I feel like it's so easy for you to kick the can down the road and be like, oh, this isn't happening now. When you talk about what's going to happen by 2050 or 2030, you feel like it's like so many years away. But when you actually like relate it to your family and be like, hey, I'm going to have a kid who's alive at this point in time, that is so powerful. And I do hope that people are able to really resonate and hear that message as well. But um, just to close, um, I, youth are, are very passionate about this, but how do people get involved? Let's say someone actually wants to get involved in climate action. They want to make a difference within their space, within their own country. How did you get involved and how can someone else get involved? Well, getting involved is harder than it seems that we make it to be because um, you see this huge movement that has so many different faces, right? You see the people in the business sector who are leading with climate innovation, and then you see the scientists who are putting out all these scary papers, and then you see the youth in the streets who are organizing. So it might be hard for somebody to say, where do I fit in? What does activism look like for me? Um, and my advice is to ask to yourself, what are you best at? For me, I think that my uh, the things that I'm the best at right now are being a student and speaking. So I am a spokesperson. I take a lot of panels and I like to host things and I like to be a communicator and a storyteller because I think that's where my power is. But I have friends whose power is in photography and or writing or journalism uh, or research. So once you find what you're good at and you just put a climate lens on it, you become an expert in your field with that climate lens, it makes you unstoppable. I know people who just got in the movement two months ago who are already at COP because they said, you know, I'm in the arts world and I love art, but I realized that I can use these strategies of talking to people and selling art in the climate space to, to give uh, financial support to projects. There you are. You are now um, somebody who's helping climate solutions go further. So it's all about being who you are and adapting that to this new world. So in addition to being a voice for the youth, you're also a voice for indigenous people. How do you think that movement is coming about? Do you think they're included in this climate discourse? And uh, how is this COP taking indigenous people into account? Um, well, I am from the Otomi Toltec community in central Mexico. And my dad has been in the climate space at the UN level since before I was born. He was part of the first ever climate summit in 1992 in Rio de Janeiro, fighting for indigenous rights and the inclusion of indigenous peoples. In 2007, the UN had the first declaration on indigenous rights. Um, the issue is that none of these declarations are legally binding. 
So each time, every year, indigenous communities have to come to spaces like COP to be heard by their governments because the ladder of bureaucracy is so steep in our countries that sometimes the only time we can talk to our governments is if we make it to COP. So indigenous peoples here uh, at COP this year, you know, there's the indigenous pavilion, there's the indigenous caucus, and there's a lot of, um, you know, different strategies to get indigenous rights into the forefront of a lot of these different talks on biodiversity and rights of nature, because if you don't protect the defenders of territories, you cannot really defend. And so that is the focus. Um, another thing that indigenous communities are you know, really focusing on is bridging that indigenous wisdom with the Western legal pathways or pathways to get things done. So ecocide law is a great example of this. How do you bridge the wisdom of knowing that humans have to be interrelated with nature to a legal framework, and that is criminalizing the destruction of nature with, through the International Criminal Court. So that's something that is being pushed today uh, in this COP, and there's actually an ecocide law uh, pavilion as well. So yeah, it's really interesting uh, what's going on, and I see it as the merging of two worlds, and the hope is that we take the best from both. I love that idea of like merging both worlds. I know that farmers are constantly speaking about this, that there's this indigenous knowledge when it comes to adaptation and then there's the science. How do we bridge those two together to find solutions? And in addition to that, how do we find solutions that indigenous people are able to use because they have their own way of doing things. So when we come up with solutions, it's really important to make sure that they are part of the solution so that they can actually use them. And is this something that you are actually seeing? Is there movement on this? or is there still silos? Are people separated? You mentioned that um, indigenous people have to come to COP to actually speak to their governments. And that's, that's tragic if you actually think about it. So are you seeing these break, break, things breaking down? Are you seeing more communications between the two? Yes, I mean, in Brazil, we just saw um, the first two indigenous lawmakers, uh, Sonia Guajajara uh, is the first ever uh, representative of a huge, huge province, which is, you know, amazing to see that you know, and she's been to COPs regularly. She was leading the march at COP26, for example, and she just got elected. Um, seeing the fact that presence in these international spaces have a real impact back home. Um, and that's really what, what we are uh, pursuing, you know, that pr pursue of dignity, pursue of respect and pursue of being able to share indigenous knowledge, indigenous wisdom to people who have sidelined it for so long and realize that if there weren't indigenous people around the world, there would be no biodiversity left to protect because it would have already all been used up for industry or extractivism. So we need to keep that in mind. We are where we are because indigenous communities have been so resilient in protecting 80% of the world's biodiversity. Um, today, an indigenous, uh, girl from uh, Guerrero in Mexico spoke and she said, we've forgiven you for colonization, we've forgiven you for displacing our people, but we will not forgive you if you take away our future. Wow, that is powerful. Thank you so much, Shia. I really, really enjoyed speaking to you and you're like an excellent spokesperson for this movement. Your 
place really is in communicating this i think you've opened my eyes to look at this in such a different way and to look at this from so many different angles so i really appreciate having you here today well thank you so much for your time thanks for listening to copcast we'll be publishing episodes every day throughout cop 27 so make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform and if you've enjoyed today's episode please share it with others you think would be interested in it You can also leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have some feedback about this episode that you want to share or are at COP and want to let us know what we should be covering, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at devx and at rumbichakamba underscore or you can drop us an email at podcast at devx.com. 